Welcome to Mysterious Goings On, the podcast about creativity, writing, and mystery. Every week, we talk about all kinds of great fiction and meet the people who write it. We also feature explorations about creativity in all walks of life. Your host, Alex Greenwood, will join you right after this. You know, I'm not one to make cutting remarks, but when it comes to mystery thrillers, I like a good mystery thriller that involves a little bit of cutting, if you know what I mean. And it doesn't always have to be necessarily on the verbal side. But what's interesting about our guest today is not only is it on the verbal side, it's on the physical side. We've got some cutting going on here, but it's way more than that. And I'm excited to welcome Amy S. Peel, RN, the award-winning, best-selling author of Cut, and another book, Match. It's not Cut and Match, one book. It's two books, Cut and Match, Medical Mysteries with a Mission and a Side of Humor. Before becoming a writer, Amy enjoyed a fascinating 35-year career in the organ transplant field, which provides an authentic backdrop to her books. You know what? I bet verisimilitude is not a problem she has in her writing. But enough about me. Let's transplant the conversation from me in this intro Let's welcome Amy S. Peel, RN2, Mysterious Goings On. Welcome, Amy. Well, thank you for having me. I'm very excited. And I did have a lot of mysterious things going on in my career. I should let you know first off. Thanks for the cut. <laughs> so I, I've been writing for a long time. People ask, oh, how long you've written? And I've been, you know, writing for a long time. Self-pubbed a memoir in 2009 and took classes at a community college and whatever. And so we want to talk about that later. But my real job, day-to-day -day job, was in trans organ transplantation. So people, some people live, some people die, but it's a very wonderful, intense, exciting world. And I loved every second I was in it. I retired in 2014, but one of the things I didn't like, which was great fodder, and your listeners will love this, I decided I wanted to kill the people I didn't like at work. Because, you know, there are those people at work where you have to act real normal, like, hi, oh, it's nice. and I was the director of a program, so I had about 120 employees, plus doctors. Most of the doctors, I'm going to tell you, were fine, but some of the employees, not so much. So I had to look really normal when they said really outrageous things because you have to be a professional. But then I decided I was going to retire, and I was going to write murder mysteries, and I was going to kill them. And I wasn't just going to kill them. I, I knew how to kill them to get their organs for transplant, so I got a little revenge. And it was cathartic. So if you don't like anybody, anybody listening to this, just start get write it down with your pencil or get on the computer. You can delete it. It. I wish I'd known how cathartic it was because when I wrote the second book, Match, and I killed this lady in the first, I didn't realize how much I didn't like her. Now, don't worry. I changed the hair color. I changed the name. I changed the eye color. I changed all that. So tech and it's fiction, by the way. So it's legal. You can legally kill somebody if you write fiction and make everyone else hate them as much as you did or dislike them. Probably hates a lot, a strong word. And then I use their organs for transplant. So that's how I kind of came up with, I knew the world of transplant because I'd been in it for 35 years. And I've been learning over the years how to become a better writer and a mystery writer because we have a great mystery writing class here in Corte Madera, California, right outside of San Francisco. So I learned the craft. I'm still learning the craft. I'm glad I'm learning the craft because I know till the day I die, I'll still be learning how to be a better writer. So I'm done with that. So yeah, so I used their organs and I created two characters, main characters, Sarah, 
Sarah Golden is the nurse transplant nurse and her best friend, Jackie Larson, who was a stay-at-home mom because Jackie's wife, Laura, is the assistant medical examiner in San Francisco. Okay. So, so these are two best friends. And I always tell the readers there's been a little alcohol consumption in the book as well as some swears because they swear. <laughs> and there is some sex. Now, it's not gratuitous, but I can't help it. Once you write a character, you got to let them go. And sometimes they really go. Okay, I'm talking, I wouldn't do that, but I guess Jackie would get on the back of a Harley with a drunk, you know, tatted up, pierced up fella looking for good rum in Miami. So I went with it, just research where she was going to go. But people will say, people will tell me, I I didn't know nurses drank. And I'm just like, wow, do you know any nurses? Do you know what we do every day? Sometimes we come home, we got to have a cocktail. I'm not lying. My girls, they work hard, they play hard, and people love hanging out with them. So I'm, you know, my two main characters. So they get themselves in trouble. Again, it's not my fault. And um, yeah, so I got someone I didn't like at work dead. I got a good transplant going, and I have a little fun with these ladies. So that's kind of the combo platter of my mystery series. Oh my gosh, so much there, right there. You know, um, I love that too, because I I actually have done that. I've taken people who I absolutely abhor in real life and they are in there, you know, it, and some of them, frankly, were they still living, I could probably get sued, but that's another story. But it is cathartic. It is so good to get it out. And, and uh, what's really interesting too, is like a couple of people I've written about really weren't that far from being the, the criminal murderers they actually are in the in the book it, it so it's fun to do that and I love it too because my readers of my series love to say you know they don't necessarily always say that's me right but they like that's so and so who they kind of know or know of so that's a fun game for I think the readers but I I love that what you're saying there too because it leads me to a to first question then and I think you kind of answered it but I want to hear it directly you don't you don't censor yourself. You don't censor your characters, do you? You know, you you just said earlier, if they want to have a drink, they have a drink. If they want to have sex, they're going to have sex. And if it's kind of sex that doesn't float your particular boat reader, that's not my problem. Is that about right? You hit it. And you know, because you're a writer. And when you're writing your characters in fiction, it, the cool part about our creative craft is that they start showing up and taking you places you did not write about, didn't think about. I have characters like, Biker Bob. Biker Bob was only supposed to be in one scene. Okay. It was a really dive bar in Miami. I needed him to go in there. I needed Jackie to be in there. I figured that's my vehicle, this guy, this Harley guy. Well, Biker Bob is in all three books. He hasn't left. Same with Sarah's boyfriend. I call him Officer Handsome. Why? Because she was just supposed to meet him in one interrogation room at the very beginning, and then he was going to go off. I had a whole other plan about Sarah's love life, but I couldn't get rid of the guy. Well, when you can't, you know, when you can't get rid of them and they keep coming back, then it's like, okay, buddy, you're on deck here. You're going to be staying if that's what you want. Amy, well, tell me this, though. That happened to me. I had a guy who I thought was going to be kind of a one-off in one of the books. And has this happened to you, though? He, for a bit there, until I had to rate him in over a couple of books, I had to rate him in because he was becoming more popular than the actual lead character. Yes, I know. I know. Jackie, like Sarah was going to be, and she is, but Jackie, I kind of, you know, when I write, I don't know about you, but I'm more visual. So I make a storyboard and I cast characters. And I, so my, my characters, I look at like 
Jackie Larson is Melissa McCarthy because I'm a big Melissa McCarthy fan. Okay, so who is it? I, I know I just love her so much. And um, and then Sarah Golden was more like you know uh, Sandra Bullock, the two from like The Heat. I don't know if you ever saw that movie, but that look if it, Sandy Bullock's in it. I've seen it. Oh yeah, <laughs> The Heat. Oh my God. I've watched that a million times. And those, when I first watched it way before my murder mysteries, I'm thinking, I love these friends. Like one's proper, you know, the FBI agent, Sarah, and you know, Miss Bullock never does anything wrong. And then there's, you know, Mullins, you know, Melissa McCarthy's just completely outrageous. Like, no, you know, you know, stopping her. Great movie, by the way, if anyone wants to watch it and laugh out loud. A lot of fun. A lot of fun. So I, I, I fashion them. So Jackie sometimes takes over because Sarah's, you know, kind of more of the serious, more, not always, but, you know, and the two of them were best friends in Chicago in nursing school, which is where I'm from. So I have, I added pieces because I still see my girlfriends from nursing school. We started in 72 and we still see each other every year. And I'm going to tell you, it's a wild bunch. We're not as wild as we used to be, but I just take a little, you know, because probably in your books too, people come up and go, um, are you so-and-so? Is that you? You know, and you're like, I'm like, it's a composite, right? Like probably some of your characters are composite people that you know, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. But, so they, but the DNA, yeah. there's a strand of DNA that's that's Amy Peel in your in your character. There's gotta be. Yes, yes, there is. And I when I worked in transplant early on in my career in Chicago, I it's pretty heavy because I part of my job was talking to donor families when they've lost somebody and yeah. asking them for organ donation. Right. So I decided I needed some levity at night. So I sent myself to Second City and I did improv classes and I graduated after a year before I got recruited out to San Francisco. They wanted me to start a job earlier. I go, I got I have a graduation. I'm graduating from Second City. I'm, you know, it was a one year and I had because I went somewhere where nobody knows who you are. It's like cheers, only it's improv, right? right? And just have fun and they have work with your imagination, which you and I do in our writing. But then it was just having fun and laughing and figuring it out. And just, it was, there was no wrong answer. So I took improv for a year. So my characters, to your point, do have a pretty good sense of humor. And some of their friends have a really good sense of humor. So I think you're right. My DNA leaves its imprint on my various characters in different ways well uh, i come from a family my mother was an lpn my brother-in-law is an is a nurse practitioner um and i did date an rn once i will we'll leave it at that just say that yes rns do typically do not typically maybe but the one i dated definitely drank and uh, enjoyed other things as well so uh it's good stuff let me let's take a step back though from the books for a second and about this i I'm, I'm kind of evangelical about organ transplanting and being an organ donor. It's on my license. May hey, someday, everybody, you know, we all have a, a date on our calendar. We just don't know what day it is, right? And if I go in such a way where some of my stuff, I think my liver is out of the question, but everything else is probably in pretty good shape. So I think it's a great thing. Let me ask you something, though. Um, do you think that it's still kind of... Um, a scary thing for people to be an organ donor the idea of like when i die because there's always that thought right i'm sure you've combated this throughout your career of like well if they know you're a donor and they need a certain organ they'll let you die on the table or something is that is that even a thing anymore well it never was but first thank you for signing your donor card <laughs> it never was 
you know, it's like that Monty Python, they're knocking at the door and the guy's alive and he's like, liver. <laughs> and they're like, um, not dead yet. What not dead yet. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we don't go that far. I'm not going to be knocking on your door. Okay. But, um, cause we could take one piece of your liver just so don't be so funny. We might find a good piece and use it at the end. God, just, it- just, just grow it. <laughs> Can you do that? Liver will grow, right? Oh. Livers grow right fast. I mean, we do living liver transplants. We take a lobe from a living donor and transplant it into a patient and it does great. So just FYI, that's happening. Mm. Um, but people, here's the thing behind your question, I would say is people don't like to talk about death. They don't want to acknowledge it. They don't want to write their will out. They don't want to do anything because then some people think if they do that, then they're going to die sooner or they're going to die, whatever that is. So I just tell people, look, make a decision one way or another. It doesn't matter. There's no wrong answer here. Okay. And just tell your family because they're the ones we'd ask if so, you know, God forbid someone's out and dead brain dead. We'll our transplant community will say, well, what did your wife, son, daughter, mother, father, whatever, do you know what their wishes were? And if the family's like, like in this time of turmoil, because they just lost somebody, the last thing they want to think about is, so the responsible thing to do is just say, tell your family, I don't want to do it. If anyone asks and I die, no, or yes, I want to. And this is what I want. It's that will go a long way. Now, let's say you did sign your donor card Mm -hmm. and God forbid you got in an accident and your family comes and we say, well, uh, we're going to you know, proceed with organ donation. And they would say, no, you're not. And legally, we can because you gave us permission. Right on. But when the EMTs, if there's an accident somewhere, the last thing they're looking for is your wallet. Okay. Yeah. The last thing they're looking for is anything. It's even if you've ever, well, I've worked in an ER as well. But if you've ever been in a scene of an accident or gone, they cut those clothes off as fast as they can, stabilize the patient, get them to the ER, do the diagnosis, and get them upstairs. Right. This is not like a, well, let's see, do they have any insurance? None of that happens in these scenarios, all right? These are traumas. So I I know people get scared, and there's questions like, you know, back in the day, people said, oh, they found a guy in a bathtub full of ice. And his kid. <laughs> yeah. Here's the thing on that one. Um there's no way you'd use the kidney, even if it was true and it wasn't, because it'd be it'd be unsterile. Okay. Right. So you'd want it. But I just say tell your loved ones what you want, right or wrong. That's the best you can do for them and for yourself. And then move along. You know, you don't you don't need both your kidneys. We do living living kidneys, living liver transplants. So, you know, and if people don't like death, like is, which is at the core of your question to talk about it, because that would imply that they might acknowledge they might die. And we all know we're hitting the road sometime. Um, don't know when um, that I think that's, that's really the best way to approach the topic. And we have a huge shortage, 22 people die a day waiting on the list. And we have about 116,000 people on our wait list right now. So I'm, even though I'm not working in it, I'm still like you, it's in my DNA too, because I did it for 35 years and oh, I yeah. loved it, you know? So it's, it's serious. And I've had the chief and chairs of departments of surgery and transplant look at my books to make, cause the authenticity of the detail is because that's where I worked. The fun part about writing is when I decided I'd write the mystery while I was still working, I would look at things and say, how would I explain this to you? Like, what would it be like 
in a selection room. Like, how can I show you the people in the room and how they make a decision on who gets on the list and who doesn't? And all of those things that happen every day at every transplant center in the country. And so my awareness of the, the mundane things that we did every day kind of got a little more ex, kind of a little expounded because I had to think, well, how could I show you this, you know, this hall at the transplant program where we have letters from donors, families and letters from recipients. And you could see like, cause I have to show you in my book, I can't tell you, right? So I, my characters need to, to do, do the work in terms of dialogue and seeing things. So it was fun. It was a fun, fun assignment to give myself way before I retired to just notice the detail of a thing that you and I probably in our work worlds do every day, but wouldn't think that we'd have to pay attention to because why would you have to explain that to somebody? It's true. Yeah. And I think that uh, I, I worked uh, first job, I did PR for, I've done PR public relations forever. My first uh, job was in a hospital complex. So I, I actually, I remember, never forget, uh, there was an unfortunate accident and a young, young boy, um, but uh, just old enough to where they could, you know, um, and uh, um, the, the, the family was asking, it just, it's a horrific thing to see because the last thing you think is that your, your young child or is going to go and it shouldn't go but I remember too that my my boss said now look they're going to harvest the organs but we don't say harvest to the to the media or the family and I was like I would never do that anyway <laughs> it sounds like such a but I mean that's a word that they use I don't know if that's still a word that we used don't or... we don't use it anymore and thank you we use you know we use recover mm, mm. and we used to call them uh cadaver donors because basically their brain is dead but we right. call them deceased donors yeah. out of respect to the families. And if anyone listening has ever seen the Rose Bowl parade, there's a donate life float and there's a, everything has to be made of flowers. First of all, on all the floats. Right. Right. And um, so they have a, a floral gram of the donor. And then next to it is the person who received the organs, all the different people around it. And it's oh, wow. every year the Rose Bowl parade. And it's, I went one year and of course I was just crying the whole time because it's so inspiring. Oh yeah. And the families make it a kind of a pilgrimage to come because it's one way to stay connected. And what you and your listeners might not know is sometimes the donor families meet the recipients of their loved one's organs. Hmm. Only if a social worker has been involved and it's been vetted and it's all okay and it's not going to add more trauma, but it's quite something to see happen and it's yeah. really cool i have to say well because you're actually finding something good out of the loss of a loved one and that's yeah. that's huge and i've read stories about how families you know they'll listen to the like a heart donor listen to the heart that's been you know and it's that's magnificent stuff but 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 amy i i've gone on a ways here i've drawn i've taken you down the transplant path let's let's pull ourselves out of there for a minute here let's talk about the writing shall we real quick Let's do it. I am not a big on let's process. Let's ask about process all the time, but I'm, I am a little curious. Since you came to writing a little later, um, and you're obviously a very interesting person, and you got away with words, and of course, if you graduated Second City, come on, you know. So how do you do this? I'm curious. Uh, does the humor that you bring to the characters, does it come just very naturally as you're flowing through your drafts or is it stuff where you have to kind of work at kind of getting it in there? Just kind of curious about how that all works for you. Good question, because um, 
I don't push I'm from a big family. There's six siblings. So, so humor was one, one piece in your tool. If you weren't funny or we were uh, raised Catholic and we're German and Irish. So need I say more? So you learn, I was the fifth boy. I watched the show, honey. So I could come up with something good. If my brothers were coming after me or my sister, if I didn't want to run outside and get on the roof so they couldn't beat me up. But I think part of it is in bread. I think we all have a sense of humor. I think it's one of those things like our imagination, if we just exercise it and have fun with it. So I never do it deliberately make them do things and people do tell me god i think you're so funny and sometimes i'm thinking yeah um okay i'm glad you think i'm funny i'm not i'm like i'm not going for the laugh if you will i'm just and then like i told you and you know your characters go to these places and then it's like are you kidding me okay and then i like i said with jackie when she went to this rum bar i researched this crazy ass dive rum bar in miami outside of miami well when I explain it, you laugh because it's ridiculous, right? You know, they got Diver Dan's big old helmet by the door. And I mean, stuff you wouldn't forget if you went there, right? right? So I think the humor part is, which is how my kind of reviews have gone. It's a mystery with a, it's a mystery with a mission, organ mm -hmm. donation, transplanting, and a side of humor because my, some of my characters are just silly. And the third book, Boy, they just go for it. I mean, I'm, that's not been, it's about now for advanced reader copy production. Oh, okay. Books. But yeah, and I just thought, okay, if that's what you want the sign at the airport to say, who am I to stop you? I, I, if I saw that, I'd laugh my ass off, okay? <laughs> so I'm just telling you. So I think um, I don't push it, but I've also had such, I mean, no, I'm 68 for God's sakes, and I was raised in a big family with a single mom, so you know, and who's working full time. So if you don't, you don't get that tool, that comedy humor, shell, you know, that tool sharpened in your box in my family, you're in trouble. Trub. So um, yeah, I think it's kind of a survival skill. And then in, in healthcare, we all need some comic relief. And yeah. I love comedy anyway. I love it. I love to laugh and cool. Go figure now later in life. I don't know how many years ago I found out that I'm certified to teach yoga, Chopra yoga from the Chopra center. Cause after I retired, I thought that couldn't hurt. And, you know, I was in a chair, not in a wheelchair, but you know, the knees weren't so good cause I ground them up as a nurse. So I got new knees so I could still get off the mat, but I couldn't before. And then there's this laughter yoga certification because they use it in hospitals because it actually increases the endorphins in people and they feel better. And they let us learn the techniques, take them to the hospital. And I have to say to this day, if, and I've said this before, if I could have taken a picture of this woman and her family, she had terminal cancer and we went in and we made, you know, did some fun laugh with her and her family. It, her whole face lit up her, 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 her demeanor. She was lighthearted, you know, yes, she's got a horrible diagnosis and it's not good. And the family's there. But to me, there's another piece, which is laughter. And it does, there's scientific studies that laughter increases your endorphins and there's feeling, you know, like if you go see a good movie or like our favorite, you know, The Heat with Melissa and Sarah, Sandra mm -hmm. Ball. Um, I just love them. So I think laughter is so important, especially in today's world. <laughs> well, you need a chuckle, at least find one anywhere. Listen to a good podcast, right? There um, you go. Yeah. And cool. so that's kind of where the humor finds its way in. And I just either get out of its way or if it's really outrageous, which I haven't thought any of it's real. No one's written me and said, are you, that's a terrible, I haven't gotten any of the hate mail. 
So right. I guess so far I haven't gotten too far. Maybe I haven't gone far enough. That's right. my thing. Well, could, that could be it right there. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I, as I learned as a, as a young lad in Reader's Digest, laughter is the best medicine. <laughs> right? Remember? Yeah, I learned that in life in these United States. I remember those two. Um, so, Amy, <laughs> so you've got another one coming, huh? I do. I got the la the, the one, third one in the trilogy is called Hold, H-O-L-D. But it's kind of like the Holy Grail and Transplant. It was supposed to have, both of my books were three of them. Out of the three, two were having different titles. But the the gal that she writes press who does the covers does such an amazing job. They made me shrink it to one syllable. Um, I'm not so sure if that's just for me. I can pronounce some multi-syllable words, but I'm okay with that. I mean, I'm not taking it offense, any offense to that. But it's, it's, I was, it, the holy grail in our world of transplant is tolerance, meaning your body, if, what if I gave you just one pill and when I transplanted, you got to transplant, you never needed any of those anti-rejection drugs. Like, wouldn't right. that be the, and then, you know, in fiction, you always start like, what if, Right. like, what if is a good one to like, what if? make it up. So I said, what if it could happen? And then from there, the story goes, if what if we got, you know, tolerance, or we're going to call it hold, then the body could just accept any organ that it needed. And we wouldn't have to give them all these expensive drugs that bank the, break the bank and their body wouldn't be all the side effects of the drugs. So I kind of, I went after big pharma. So if you never see me again, let's get this on tape here. Yeah, definitely. And I also went after venture capitalists. Why not? Why not? Big home, right? Yeah. So that's the third book. It comes out in October. And um, it's fun ride. I have to say I had a good time writing it. That's the thing, too. You look like you have fun writing. And uh, I, I remember I, I made books in on my series. I'm pretty well done with them, kind of looking at something new to do. But one of the reasons I'm looking for something new to do, though, is because I, I, I hate kind of saying this because I don't want listeners who've read my books to go, God, I like the book. Why doesn't he? He wrote it. That doesn't mean I don't like it, but I want to have that fun again. Maybe you can't fall in love again. I don't know, but I want to have that fun of starting over and trying something new. Does that make sense to you? I love that you do because after I finished this other one and it just goes out for reviews and then gets final print, I'm writing a romantic comedy that has nothing to do with transplant, has none of the characters from the trilogy, and I am just I, and here's the other thing with my series, I, I like to eat, love it. And I have a development editor and all my books, she goes, uh, Amy, if these characters are not gonna be chefs at the end of the story, you gotta get rid of some of this food because your reader, you're taking them off the side road, right? And you know, you're a writer. We wanna keep them on the page and keep them going. And I remember clearly writing this one scene and cut, uh, the girls were in Miami. They're waiting for this slur jet and they're hungry. So they find a burrito place and it's chorizo with beans and rice. Here, I better remember myself hungry and sour cream and salsa. I had to stop writing. I went downtown. I live in Novato. I got the burrito I just described on the page. I ate that sucker like there was no tomorrow. And then I came back and kept writing. Well, I had more book, more meals in the book, just so you know. Chicken cacciatore didn't make cut, but it did make match. And I have them going to restaurants eating, you know, patty melts and bills. And because I like to eat, okay? Yeah. And uh, my character, you know, I, I had one of these TV shows. They're always sitting around. Like, did you ever see anyone from Downton Abbey eating? Do you ever see them eating the food? Rarely. They might have a tiny sip of the wine, right? And they have to get all dressed up to sit at that table, and they're hardly eating anything. I mean... Yeah. I like my characters to have a meal under their belt if they're going to do something. 
you know, I, I interviewed a couple of times a great writer out of Seattle area, a former film producer. Uh, you, you might remember he did. He produced the film Ghost Story with Fred Astaire back in the day. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah, he's a neat guy. Bert's a great guy. But Bert is well known for taking the reader to dinner and, and to the nth degree, you know. So I say more power to you because when I read Bert's stuff, I do get hungry. The same way when I would, used to, when I was younger, read Robert B. Parker's Spencer series because Spencer liked to cook. I think yeah. it's perfectly fine that you do that. I do too. And I give them food. And you know what I did? Um, if people want my newsletter, it's funny because my newsletter just went out and someone said, oh, what are you expecting from, you know, these characters that Amy peeled in my newsletter? And one lady goes, I'll tell you one thing. I'm sure they're going to be eating some good food. I'm going to copy and paste it and send it to my development editor. <laughs> See, they like the food. That's some but market the, research. There you go. Yeah. The rom-com does have a caterer at the beginning who is not so good. I mean, spit out horrible. Ooh. And then, as you know, with the character, maybe I'll have her be a better a caterer at the end than she was at the beginning. Because it was quite the scene in the first chapter. But I, I, I don't know what, what I got it as I got into my 50s, food became much more interesting to me than it ever was. I like to yeah. cook now and do all of it. Is that a thing, do you think? Uh, I think, well, so here's the truth about my world is I'm a terrible cook. My daughter, Gracie, is a chef. She's 34. She's amazing. She does, she's got this, uh, in Eugene, she started this nonprofit for at-risk teenagers called um, the Marigold Collaborative Cooking, Cooking Collaborative. So oh. she teaches at-risk teenagers. She gets grant money to at least teach them how to do some basic cooking. And she's got the farmer's market who donate the food, but she's pretty funny because she writes these articles. And when it was years ago, when she was, you know, getting a, fellowship somewhere she said can I just read you this I said sure the first sentence was my mother was a terrible cook <laughs> I said it's true <laughs> I'm okay with that and you know what you're lucky I was because look at you and your brother and your father it's all self-defense I'm not taking anything personal here. <laughs> they they all cook and they just say my you, you need to get out of the kitchen I'm like uh -oh. okay I'm fine I can scramble eggs okay I can make you maybe three things but don't be coming if I'm cooking I always tell people, you want to come for dinner, my husband's cooking. They're like, okay, that's me. Not so much. Not so much. But, you know, hey, we can't do everything, but I think you're right. We're all of us are, I'd say, I am, my friends are, you are. We love food. We love good food. And now there's so many creative ways that it's happening, right? With the food trucks and the, you know, pop-ups here. I mean, how lucky are we in the ingredients that we can get? Come on. So I am totally down with food. Yes. I just don't want to cook it because it doesn't turn out so well. And I'm okay. So I, I'm. that's why I decided I could write my rom-com. I'm going to write about as much food as I want. And yeah, that's right. And I'll get good ideas from my daughter because she's crazy. Because she cooks. And Mark, my husband, uh, Mark, does. And Bennett, her son. They're all great cooks. But Hey, if I was the good cook and mom at the day, you think they'd all show up like this? Oh, I don't think so. So I'm really proud of the fact that I, and especially on Thanksgiving, because I invite her friends who cook pot, make homemade pies, unbelievable, make delicious everything. I don't have to do anything. And if we have a minute for a funny story, I'll tell you about the caution tape. And so what Racy writes a letter for the or Eugene paper about how she hated Thanksgiving because it was horrible because I was a maniac because I wanted everything to turn out well. And my husband's always open in the oven to check the turkey. So one year I'd had it. I got some yellow crime tape for real. 
I taped it over the oven. Because, you know, you open it up and then you carve the turkey and it's not done. And how many people are waiting to eat it? So I've had it. I've had it. Leave it alone. So I taped the crime tape on the, you know, I did. I'm going to say it stopped him. But Gracie's articles, yeah, my Thanksgiving was a horrible, most the worst holiday in our family until I realized that I could take it over and cook. And she, what she does is she, she talks about the crime tape. But then she says, and my mother is does what she does. She sits on the couch with her Bloody Mary and watches the, the Macy State Parade and delegates. And she's the best delegator. And now we have the best Thanksgiving dinners ever. So finding out that I'm not the best cook, okay, and that I, I'm a really good delegator, really good. And, you know, you have to learn to be in the world I used to work in because there's too much work for anyone. But I'm happy with it. And I also have a good meal and I get to tell people what to do, which if you ask my family, it's one of my favorite things. And when I retired, they put, they put baby in the corner because I was trying to uh, boss him around a little more than was appropriate at the house. And they reminded me, you're not the director of transplant mom anymore. You can't be bossing us all around. So I was sad about that, but I'm okay with it now. I've learned not to boss them around too much. Well, I'm just relieved to learn they didn't uh, consider um, putting a crime scene tape because it was a crime scene that your cooking was not that good, you know, of, of you know, but, but no, that's, that's a, that's a lovely story. It sounds like you got a fantastic family. And the great news too, for listeners is that, that uh, Amy S. Peel is cooking up some great, great uh, mysteries here. They're, and they're fun. And this is what I like about, besides the fact that Amy is hilarious and all that, she does work that humor into the books. She does work these wonderful details in there. So you're not going to feel like it's somebody who's never heard or been in uh, an OR or heard or been in a hospital or heard about transplant, you're going to have somebody who is going to give you that kind of pardon the term gory details. And you're going to, I'm, I'm sure you're going to just love that. And that's going to be the, one of the great things about reading uh, these books. Match is the book. Cut is a book. And the it third holds, book, if They're not bloody because they don't need to be bloody. Right. But what people tell me is one, they feel like they got a, a peek behind the curtain. Right. Transplant which I show you. Secondly, and you know this as a writer, they say, I loved your books. I finished them in two days. I said, really? It took me a year to write. <laughs> slow down. Slow, you, two days? Come on. So, and that's a compliment, as you know, but when you and I sit at our keyboard and write, 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 you know what that means and edit, edit, edit. Yeah. So I love that they're, they're page turners and I'm grateful for that. I just hope maybe if people buy, could they take three days? I, I think listeners, even if you, you only take two, you don't write Amy a note and say you took, took, uh, take you just a week. give her, give her that day, give her that day. Amy, uh, SPL, how do we, speaking of buying your books, how do we, uh, how do we find out more about you? Where's your website and all that? Well, my website is, is Amy, A-M-Y, S as in Sam, Peel, P-E-E-L-E, Peel like a banana peel with an E at the end, Amy S. Peel, and all my books are there. But I also advocate strongly for independent bookstores. Yes. So you hit, and there's a button on my website that if you don't know where your independent bookstore is, you put your zip code in and you go right to your, it'll show you where the closest independent, because, you know, with Amazon, which I know a lot of people love and I think they're grateful for is it's closed down a lot of independent bookstores. So I encourage people when and if they can to go to their independent books. If you can't afford the book, ask your library to order it for you because yeah. they will. A lot of libraries order it. 
or you could go to the Amazon place if you would like as well. But all those things are on my website. And I also have a little contest going on match around the world. So people who buy it and it's got Ben Ireland and Puerto Rico and they go to their place. They show me a picture of the book where it's at. And then they get a beautiful glass fused necklace. My husband makes fused glass and there's a picture on my website and I just send it to them. And it's fun because my books like cut went around the world. I, I didn't get to go to the Hamptons, but cut went to the Hamptons and I'm not jelly. I'm not jealous about it. And if my books can go around the world, people show them pictures of the Leaning Tower, Pisa or over in, you know, in Idaho or wherever they go. It's kind of fun. And I think it's fun. So people send me pictures and I post their picture with their permission, of course, and then send them a pretty uh, glass medallion. That's so nice. I, I was just on Insta the other day and, and somebody was reading my latest. Uh, I don't send them anything except my love, but it was it's a very nice thing to see. And I think it's a great idea. So, folks, go to Amy S. Peel. I remember there's an E on the end of that dot com. And you can see she's got a great website, more information about the books. And of course, the links to the indie bookstores. And one thing, folks, a lot of people say, well, my indie bookstore doesn't carry uh, the book I want. Well, Obviously, the reason why is because most indie bookstores, well, most bookstores just don't have the shelf space to carry anything, but they'll order it for you. And you're helping them and you're helping the author. And guess what? If you have a favorite author and you keep going to that indie bookstore every time that author, especially an indie author, puts something out, they might be encouraged to shelf a few things every now and then. So, and take it from a guy who's in a couple of libraries, the same thing there. Ask. You'll you'll never know until you ask. And your authors will love you for it. Amy S. Peel. I've had such fun with you. Thank you so much for not only being a great entertaining guest, but for 35 years of helping change the lives of probably thousands of people. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was a privilege to do it. It really was. It was the highlight of my career. I loved it. I really, nothing's better than calling somebody and saying, hi, we've got a kidney for you. Or we've got, it doesn't get any better than that. So celebrate every birthday, celebrate every day, because some people don't get that opportunity. It's so true. Amy, thanks so much for being here with us on Mysterious Goings On. All right. Take care. Be well. Hi, I'm Michelle Stinson-Ross, a longtime listener, occasional guest, and definite friend of this podcast. I am also the co-founder of Mindful Appy. I'm here today to ask for your help. Mindful Appy is about to launch an academic peer-reviewed study to validate how we measure emotion with emoji. We need the diverse group of 500 participants that are willing to engage with us over the course of five days. If you're interested in participating in the study and helping us by sharing your feelings for science, please visit mindfulappy.com. That's mindfulappy.com. Thanks for joining us on Mysterious Goings On. Be sure to follow Mysterious Goings On wherever you get your podcast and never miss an episode. Don't forget, you can get the links to books and other things mentioned on the show at mgopod.com. Until next time, keep reading. Keep reading.